Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. We tend to trash the weak. You know, we tend to, to accuse, and I think in this culture, it's just that story. That's the king we serve. It's the, you know, what comes out of us is kind of what our hearts are captivated by, and Our king, our coming king and the king who has come is one that entered into the world through humility and brokenness. He came to those who rejected him, who despised him, who crucified him, who mocked him. And yet on the cross, he said, you know, Father, for this world, they they don't know what they do. They, They don't get it. They don't know who I am. And I'm willing to lay down my life. And that is the beauty of our king. And that's the God that gives us peace. Hey, there's a song I want to introduce you to today. I hope you're going to come on December 11th. Maybe you'll find a new song to sing. There's going to be a lot of songs I hadn't heard. Arrangements, um, December 11th, come out for Christmas and Evergreen. Could I say, if it's possible, come to the early service? You know what I mean? Unless you're inviting somebody, then you get to come to the main event. That's the level. Because anyways, last year, uh, two years ago, we had about 900 people. We can't do 900 people this year. But um, so, so please come to the early service if you can and invite somebody. But I want to introduce you to a song. You know, I think all of us, uh, whether you're musical or not, you're singing a song. There's a song that resonates in your life and in your heart. When tragedy strikes, there's a song you go to. When there's difficulty in your life and hardship and pain and whatever it is, you carry a song. You carry, in this song, it has a message. Most songs talk about who you are and what life is about and your dog running off and your truck getting broke and your woman disappearing and all that kind of stuff. Some are really sad songs, but songs, they, they communicate. And for this person I want to introduce you today, she, she had a song that enabled her to overcome challenges in life that are on a level I, I really can't comprehend, and yet she's a 14-year-old girl, the first one to really become a Christian in that formal sense of knowing who Jesus is, knowing his kingdom, knowing it's a 14-year-old girl. Don't minimize 14-year-old girls. Again. And yet she was somebody in the world's eyes was insignificant. No authority, no power. Came from backwoods, back country. Her husband was just a mere carpenter, no prestige, no no value to bring into the world. The world would have cast her off, but God put his love on her and blessed her. And in the trials of life, she never forgot the grace that God had had given her, the love that God had shown her. In this song, it it allowed her to launch out into life because in this song, it captured who she was. That as the world wanted to condemn her and want to crash her down and say, you are your sin, you are your failure, you are your brokenness, you are all that we think you are. You are not what God says. She had a song of exaltation that allowed the lies to flee. But she also had a song that allowed her to see who her Savior was. My Savior isn't in my beauty or in my might or my talents or my money or my wealth or my significance. My Savior is in the one who loves me and gives himself for me. And she had a story. She had a story that directed directed her life. And so I want to introduce you to Mary. You probably already know the story, but it's good to be reminded. So let's jump into Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 30. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. 
And here's the story of how it all began. The angel came to her and said, Mary, Mary, don't be afraid. The most natural thing for you to be right now is to be afraid. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. In his kingdom, there will be no end. That's the king we long for. And Mary's, what? Are you, are you kidding me? That's what that says. How can this be so? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her. That's real simple. The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child will be born of you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, who is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month. With her who was called barren. With her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary, do you want to know that I can accomplish this? Look at Elizabeth. Elizabeth had no hope when it came to a child. She was barren. No dreams, no aspirations. God brings hope where there is none. And so what Mary's going to do is with this new information, which is quite a lot to hold on to at 14, 15, because that's when young girls got married in Galilee, maybe as young as 13, 12, all the way up to 16, she would have been married. And this young girl is getting this information from an angel, which is overwhelming. It's not like people back then were like, oh, great, an angel. This is, this is awesome. She's afraid. She's doubting. She's anxious. She's worried. This message is overwhelming her. She never thought that God would ever use her in this way. She's never been told, I imagine, from a young age that she would have this kind of blessing on her life. And yet God is doing something in her that is, is impossible. And there's, in her waiting, in this space of trusting in God, there are kind of three realities that stand out to me in the song she's about to sing as this news has come. She's got to find a song. She's got to find a hope. She's got to find out who she is. That's the first thing we're going to see is she has to discover that to live this calling, to live this promise, I got to know who I am. But second, I got to know what's going to save me. Because as all of us run for a king, I can promise you this week, each one of you ran for a savior. Something to fix, something to bring hope, something to bring peace, something that could relax the pain in my life. We all run to kings, we all run to saviors. And then the final thing is she had to have a story that was greater than her story to live out of. And so let's jump into this song. It's called The Magnificat. It's in verse 46. And Mary responds to this news and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he, he has looked upon the humble state of his servant. And behold, from now on all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary is in a place of waiting. But it's also a place of uncertainty, of doubt, of fear. And the first thing she has to realize is, who am I? How is this promise going to come about? Am I bringing it about? 
Is it my strength? Has God chosen me because I'm smart and I'm beautiful and I've got my life together? Has God's grace and favor come upon me because in some way I have a special lineage? Or Why has God chosen me? She has to know who she is. And what she says is she says, listen, God, I'm your servant. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It is too great. It is too marvelous. And yet I am not the owner of my life. My life belongs to you. Verse 48 he has looked upon the humble state, the humble state of his servant. God, my life is yours. That is the battle in life. God, my life is yours. And what impacts me in this story is the fear that Mary's facing. I mean, the message alone is tremendous that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon us. And it's not like people back then just assumed that that's possible. No, she's struggling with those realities. And how is she going to communicate this to her parents, to her community? How about Joseph? She has a dream. She has a hope. She has a home of, hope of a house and children and a future and retirement and golf and Mary's got passions and hopes and dreams. She's like all of us, and she's a 14-year-old girl, and she receives this message from God. And all of that in, in the instant, when, when you receive God into your life, you have to give it up and say, God, my dreams, my hopes, my aspirations, my pursuits, they're yours. They're yours. Now, you don't realize when you accepted Jesus that's what happened, but see, that's that dance of trying to allow the king to be the king and allowing us to be the servant and say, God, every trial that comes into my life, you're bringing it into my life for opportunity and joy to transform me, not to destroy me, not to harm me, not to tear me down, not, but to give me a hope and to give me a future if I will just admit I am a servant and you are my king and you have incarnated your love in our midst. Mary had to struggle and to wrestle with that reality because he, here's the thing, in this story that that Luke is telling us about Mary. Mary comes to the story and she has stuff in her hands. And we all do in life. We all have things in our hands that we cherish, we love, we have hopes and dreams and aspirations. The question is when, when God is your king, how do you respond to the stuff that you're holding? I think there's kind of two ways that we respond to what we have. Mary's is the first example. Okay, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm struggling with it, but I am yours. Joseph, he is yours. My future, it is yours. My parents and what they're going to say, my community, my friends, my sisters, it's yours. That is one of the hardest things to do. My children, my career, my church, it's yours. Or instead of saying, God, thy will be done, Thy kingdom come, I can say, my kingdom come. I'm king. My marriage is mine. I will do it the way I will do it. My kids, they are mine. My money, it is mine. My future, it is mine. I want you to be my advisor. I want you to be my counselor. I do not want you to be my king. And he says, well, then you can have none of me. Because see, when you hold on to the things you have and you're trying to entrust yourself to a king, the fears in your life will win. Because the thing that we fear is losing the stuff that's in our hands. The stuff that we value, the stuff that God's promises may, may cause us to release back to him. There is stuff in your hands that you're holding on to. And fear has never helped anyone prepare for the day that they lose it. 
I don't know if you realize this right now, but everything in your hands that you hold so dear, you will lose one day. Our health. How many of us have gone through health struggles? It got better. We know it's also going to get worse. Loved ones, people that we value, churches, businesses. Think of all the things that we hold on, all the time and energy that we put in, all the dreams, the aspirations, the hopes. Those are things that you hold in your hand. And if you are God's servant, you have to say to him, God, I know one day I'm going to lose these things, whether it's today or whether it's tomorrow, but you are the king. And the only way I'm going to live in joy and peace, you know, the peace and the hope that we talked about is if you're reigning over the throne and I'm not, and I'm not holding on to everything I have and saying it has to work out the way that I expect it to. Mary's song teaches us what that looks like because it starts by saying, I am a servant. I know who I am. I know who I am. And when you know who you are, you'll start to realize who you belong to. Who you belong to. You know, there's another person in this Christmas story who had a lot to lose when the king showed up. And instead of approaching God with open hands, he approached God with closed hands because these very successful wise men from the east showed up. And in Matthew chapter 2, they had a question Hey, where is the one who is king of the Jews? Now, this is Herod. And Herod's thinking, you're looking at him. I won that title. That title was given to me by Rome. I have overcome every obstacle and every enemy. I have killed my own boys. I've killed my own wife to secure it. That title is mine. And so when that news came, if you look in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when King Herod heard there was another king that was going to rival everything in his hands, what happened? He was disturbed. And all Jerusalem was with him because they say when there's somebody trying to hold on to things that don't belong to them, you should be afraid. You have no idea what will come out of that person's life because they have to be in control. They have to control the outcome for my family, for my life, for my nation. And what comes out is that fear, that rage, that anger, not joy, not peace, not the Advent season. Only our king can bring that about. And what did Herod do? Because he had to secure what was his, he killed every infant under the age of like two or three years old in Bethlehem. Historians tell us that could have been anywhere from 10 to 20 children. The question is, as you approach this season, I don't know what you're dealing with, what challenges. Certainly they don't approach Mary's level, but you have to decide, how am I going to respond to what I have? How am I going to respond to the king? Am I going to see myself as a servant? Which means that I can't control what's next. Or am I going to say it's mine? Mary knows who she is because, again, she knows who she is, who she belongs to. Because the second reality of the song is she, first of all, says, Lord, I'm your servant, but listen, you are my savior. You're the one that rescues me Nothing else is going to pull me out of this. Nothing else is going to save me. You are the only one. So watch again, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in the God, my rescuer, the God, my redeemer, the God, my hope, the God, my peace, the God that can pull me out of this, the God that can fix this if I'll only surrender to him as the rightful king, if I'll only open my hands. And why is he the Savior? Notice what she says, for he, and this is so key, and I hope you'll sit on this this week, verse 48, for he has looked upon the humble state of his servant. 
And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy, holy is his name. What, is, what stands out in Mary's life? Was it the fears, the anxieties? Absolutely, they were huge, they were big. But one thing was greater. There was a greater story. Look at what God has done for me. That when it says looked upon, that means loved. God has loved this humble servant that the world said, you're not gonna accomplish anything. You're not powerful enough. You're not strong enough. You're just a girl. You're just 14. You're not Herod. How can you overcome that kind of might? I'll tell you, it's called faith. It's faith in the king. And her storyline for the rest of her life was this reality that he looked upon me but did you notice, wasn't he looked upon me when I was the princess? He looked upon me when everything was great. He looked upon me in my humbleness, which means my brokenness, my sin, my fear, my shame, my insecurities. Mary could allow the story of the world to tell her story, but the story that dominated her life was, look what God has done for me. That transforms any challenge you face in life. When you walk into those challenges with hands held tight, this is mine, I gotta control it, or you walk into that, that situation and say, look at what God has done for me. Look at the love. Look at the grace he has placed in my life. And listen, I know my trials and I know my difficulties, but that doesn't mean God doesn't love me because he is going to perfect me in this. He's going to restore me. He's going to build me up through it as long as I surrender to him as, as king. Mary knows her savior. What are you running to? What are you running to to rescue you? That's what a savior does, right? It saves and we think a savior is just about sin. It's about life. It's about marriage. It's about conflict. It's about hope. It's about physical ailments. It's about everything. In all situations, we're turning to our savior and saying, save me, rescue me. Be my Lord. Be my master. Be my king. I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. And through the storms and through the night, lead me on to the light, precious Lord. Take my hand. Lead me home. Save me. And the truth is for all of us right now, Mary could have gone to a lot of stuff to save her. I mean, I guess the internet wasn't around and alcohol, alcohol was pretty proud. Yeah, I think she could have run for that. What are you running to? What do you think? What, what's the song that gives you hope? What is, what is it that you think can save you out of what you're going through? Mary surrendered herself to a king in the midst of such difficulty and hardship. And, and here's... Here's part of the challenge. I certainly see this in my own life as I think about Mary's story, and I was thinking about her fear. I had a lot of fear in me this week. That's all right. God bless you. Uh, sorry, I'm ADD, so that, I'm bad. You, you can get mad at me later. Um, we all have an idealized picture of who we're supposed to be and how life was supposed to work. And then we have reality. We have what's really happening. <sighs> we have what has really happened. We have what we have really done. And I think in life what we try to do, instead of running to our Savior, we run to this idealized self. And the idealized self says, well, you blew that. <laughs> you blew that. Who do you think you are? It's kind of, think of it this way, you know, there's a way we live in our house, and then there's a way we want people to think we live in our house. There's Hallmark. Hate those movies, I'm sorry. 
I was even watching Christmas Vacation, which is de definitely not Hallmark, but with all the chaos that was going off and on in their house, you notice how clean it is? I'm like, I like watch that and I go, what's going, who's, do they have a maid? It's like the tree's burning up and yet the living room's fine. It's just glorious. Because see, when people come over, we want them to think, no, we never have dishes. No, no dishes. Dogs not throwing up. Kids aren't fighting. You know, beds always made with the little pillows, you know, like 12 different little pillows all kind of organized. There's a candle in the bathroom because we all have candles in the bathroom just 24-7. That's just how we do it. And I know that's hospitality, but there was a, can we be honest? There's a little bit in us about this is how I live. And that's the idealized, but this is reality. This is, we don't want people looking into the bedroom. We don't want them to see what's in the closet. We don't want them to see what's under the couch where the dog threw up. And so what we do is we try with God, we try to, we try to run to the idealized self and say, I've got to manage my sin. I've got to fix my problems. I've got to overcome these challenges. And we look to ourselves to save us, and you can't do it. That's why Jesus said, lead me not into temptation. There's only one who can deliver you from evil, and it's not you. And what Mary is doing in this story, she's recognizing who her Savior is, and she's saying, it's, it's not me. It's not me. For what I am facing in life, it's not me. What is the idealized self saying to you? And listen, what is the king saying to you? Because I can guarantee you they're very, very different. The idealized self will show you where you have failed. The idealized self will show you where you haven't lived up, where you're not enough, where you're not good enough. It'll show you all the mess you've made and all the dreams that are shattered. You know what Jesus will do? He'll look at all the same stuff and says, my blood covers it all. I've got it. Nothing is impossible for me if you know who you are, that you're a servant, you know that I am your savior and I'm your king and you stop running to this stuff in this world to save you. There's a lot of stories we can run to. Mary could have gone to individualism, consumerism, nationalism. She could have run to all those things to rescue her. She ran to her savior. And then what comes out of her is, is a new story, a totally new story that I have to believe this song. As she sang this song, when she responds to the angel, she also sang this song throughout her life into her 20s, her 30s, her 40s. Every time a challenge came, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why? Because he has looked upon my broken and humble state and he has poured out his love on my life and he has humbled those who will exalt themselves and he will lift up those who are humbled. Watch what happens as Mary continues in the song. She goes on to say in verse 50, and here's the vision that God gives her of this coming king and his mercy. This king's mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts and the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers Abraham and to his offspring forever. God, you will take down the Herods of the world and you will exalt the least likely, the poor in spirit, the merciful, the meek, the mild, the peacemakers. You will raise them up and the people will go, I had no idea they were blessed. But where did Mary give birth? Was it a Hilton? God, you will feed the hungry. Did Mary go hungry? 
Did she go without? She did. Did she get it wrong? Because the story that Mary tells is a story of the great leveling. It's called a reversal. It's actually a song that her son sang often as well. To the brother in humble circumstances, ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plants. His blossom falls and his beauty is destroyed, but the rich man in his pride and his arrogance will fade away even while he goes about his business. Where did James get that song? I bet you that was the song he heard Mary singing. Even though she was living in oppression, even though she was living under poverty, even though she was living under difficulty. You know, there's a story in which Mary comes to Jesus and she gave birth to Jesus. She had to endure all this stuff for Jesus. And he's at this point in life where hostility is rising. I mean, his popularity is growing, but with his popularity, people want to kill him. And she doesn't want anybody to kill him. So she goes to him and says, hey, you need to stop this because this isn't going well, right? She comes to him and what does Jesus do? He doesn't doesn't receive her. She goes away without speaking to him. And I wonder if in that moment she had to choose. My soul magnifies the Lord. I don't understand. I don't know why. This is frightening. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because my story is not what I'm experiencing right now, but God has looked upon the humble state of his servant, and one day he will take down those who exalt themselves. He will lift up the humble. God, I'm trusting in you right now. I don't understand. And then I can guarantee you the most difficult moment in her life where that song probably was the hardest to find was when she was standing before the cross. You know, men, the women showed up. I don't know if you know that. John was there, I guess because he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Oh, Peter, you know, they're, they're not there. It's the women around the cross. God comes to marry a 14-year-old girl. Anyways, you're starting to see a theme here. And Mary is, is standing, and here is Jesus being crucified, her son, her Messiah, her king. And I can guarantee it was very hard in that moment. And I imagine she may have had a very difficult time saying, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he will, in this moment, what contradiction does it look like to see that he will, he will, he will exalt the humble when it seems like the prideful and the arrogant and sin and death are victorious and they're winning. And I imagine as John came to her once Jesus died and he said, my father, you know, into your hands I commit my spirit. And John came to her and he grabbed her by the hand and said, listen, Jesus said I'm supposed to care for you. We gotta go, persecution's coming, we gotta go. I imagine in that moment it was so incredibly difficult for her to sing that song. What changed her? What changed her was the resurrection. What changed her was hope rekindled, hope reborn. It was the gospel. It was the story that on the cross Jesus died for our sins and yet he rose again victorious so that through faith in that Messiah and King we might have life, that we may truly say, yes, God has shown his love upon me. For while I am yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And the only reason I love, the only reason I love, the only reason I love is because he first loved me and he laid his love upon me. And listen, I don't care what's happening in life or what challenges or difficulties I face. That's the story I'm gonna carry out into the world. It's the story I'm going to carry into my marriage. It's a story I'm going to carry into my brokenness. It's a story I'm carrying into my sin because simply talking to your idealized self and letting it yell at you and tell you how much failure you have in your life, it's not going to save you. 
But if you go to the one and says, Jason, I see it all, I know it all, I know the depths of you, I know your pains and difficulties, and I know how you screwed up, but my blood covers it all. That's our king. The world longs for a king. We know the king who has laid down his life for us, but we need to walk this season as servants. We need to evaluate in our hearts, what are we running to to save us? And then finally, would you allow the story of the gospel to be the song in this season that strengthens you and leads you out into the world with faith and confidence? I don't know any other way to celebrate that than to receive communion together. I hope as you came in, you were able to grab the elements. If not, there's a lot of people around you who didn't. And so let's just take a moment and... and If you want to come up front, we have those elements available. They're also available in the back. I have to pick one up as well. But communion is about an opportunity for us to replay the good news, the gospel story. The mystery of Christ incarnate love divine. The mystery of Emmanuel, God with us, that God took on human flesh. He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness. And he was obedient unto death on the cross so that the Father in his humility might exalt him. And so we go to the communion table with a heart that's willing to search and say, Father, search me and know me. I ask, Father, that all the false kings and false kingdoms that we carry, they would fall by the glory of Jesus' name, that the sin that we carry, the burdens that we carry, Father, the saviors we're running to to fix what is broken. We would find them inadequate, the false stories of our nation or the false stories of consumerism. They would fail to provide the hope and the joy that we need. We'd only find it. We'd only find it in you. And so, Father, meet us here. Spirit, would you speak? I pray upon somebody that that needs to know his love has come upon you. You have not been abandoned. You have not been rejected. No, his love has been poured out into your life through the power of the Spirit. You are a child. You are a daughter of a great and powerful king. And through your humility, there is so much strength and beauty in your surrender and submission to him. Jesus, would you heal us as we celebrate what you have done? that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and gave thanks, and he said, take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Let us receive it together in remembrance of him. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup, and he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant, the new relationship that is now established in my blood. Let us receive it in remembrance of it.